supposed to. Anyway, thank you. I, I thought about that song. You know, if I, was, I changed the word because I think Jesus is our elder brother. I'd say he's my brother. And, you know, there's another little phrase there. Uh, I thought about it. Um, you're not alone. I'd say my blood atoned. I throw that. I'm, you know, I'm not a songwriter, but, you know, I just give you something to think about. You don't have to pay any attention to that at all, what I said. But, but I thought about that. I, I thank God he is, Jesus Christ is our elder brother. Yeah. Hallelujah. What a relationship that is Amen. Uh, with Jesus Christ. And uh, God is our father. And uh, we got a wonderful, wonderful thing, being a child of God, being born again, yeah. having our sins forgiven, the atonement paid for on Calvary. And uh, just thank God for it. This is a good crowd this morning, Sunday school. And thank you for being here. And I pray that the Lord would help us. I come across this in my notes the other day, this past week, really. And, you know, we have all this illegal immigration problem. They haven't done much about it in recent years. And so they've come up with a new policy. Instead of... Um, deporting illegal immigrants, they're going to start deporting old people because it'll save money on Social Security. Old people are easier to catch. <laughs> when they take them back across the border, they won't be able to find their way home. So I don't know, if, I hope they don't implement that, frankly, but uh, you never know nowadays. I saw this in a, stuff shows up on your phone. I get all my news on my phone. And this is a, from Harris County, Georgia. And the main road coming into the uh, county seat, it says, Welcome to Harris County, Georgia. Warning. Harris County is politically incorrect. We say Merry Christmas, God bless America, and in God we trust. We salute the troops and our flag, and that, if that offends you, and you had great big letters, leave. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty neat little deal. We live in strange days. We really do, and I thank God for his grace and his mercy to us. And there's a lot of people that need to be reached with the gospel, and that's such an important thing. I want you to look in your book, if you would, to the 11th and 12th chapter of the book of John. Now, most of you know what took place in that 11th chapter. It's just a great, great story. Uh, Lazarus had died, and uh, Jesus was uh, made aware of the fact that he was ill, uh, but he didn't get in a hurry to get there. And he abode two days, the Bible said, in the same place, and then finally he started out, and he told his disciples uh, that Lazarus slept. And uh, they said, well, if he sleeps, that's good for him. That'll help him to get better. And he said, no, he's dead. And so uh, they, they started out, you know, they're kind of moaning and bemoaning the fact that it took them four days uh, finally to get there. They arrived and uh, Martha greets him and uh, then he, he runs into Mary and, uh, you know, Thomas he was one of them. I don't know if he was the dumbest disciple or not, but pretty close. I guess Judas, we'd have to give it to Judas. But Thomas, he said there in that 11th chapter, he said, oh, let's just all go and die with him. 
Now, what a foolish thing to say. You've got the, you got the Savior of the world. You've got this resurrection power going there. And, of course, you know the story. Lazarus uh, comes up out of the grave. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful story. And uh, I, I read through the Gospels every month. And I came across this, I never, I never really noticed it before. That's one of the great things to me about the Bible. You can read it and read it and read it. And then, I never saw that before. But in chapter 12, in verse number 1, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So, uh, you got a little echo here. You want me to move this? That helps a bit, moving that. Or I'm not even on it. I'm on. Okay. What are we doing? 10-4, over and out. We okay? <laughs> Just leave that there. All right. So, and I never noticed how close it was from Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead uh, to his crucifixion. And uh, it's just a couple of weeks after that happened, uh, Jesus is being crucified. So my thoughts, uh, that distance between Lazarus' resurrection and to Jesus' resurrection is just less than three weeks' time, just a very brief amount of time. And you see, when, they, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, how fickle uh, that crowd was. They are uh, shouting, Hosanna. They are laying their clothes down that he could uh, walk on them. They got palm uh, fronds laying there and other kind of trees. They lay stuff in his path. And it was uh, such a tremendous thing. And it's how quickly, and I think you can re relate to this, or we can relate to this in our own lives, how quickly we can go from obedience to disobedience, to faithfulness, to unfaith, being unfaithful, to rejoicing, to pouting and complaining about something. You know, how quickly uh, our lives change. I uh, came across this. I was in a meeting a couple of summers ago, and um, there was a speaker there. He's a guy about my age. He uh, was a uh, president of a college down, way down in South Florida. And... Uh, he got up at one morning service and he just read his text over there when uh, God spoke to Moses and said, I am that I am. Yeah. He closed his Bible and stepped down in front of the pulpit and for an hour and 15 minutes spoke on I am that I am talking about God it is absolutely tremendous. Well, the next guy, he got up to speak. I don't know if they planned it or not. I've never done this in my whole life. I guess I could, but it probably wouldn't be much of a, anything. He read his text, and he stood down there and talked for about 45 minutes. Uh, and I'm sure they had probably preached the sermon before, but it was just wonderful. And the young man that did that, he said this. He quoted David Livingston. He said, let us not speak of sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. I'm simply trying to pay back a small part of a great debt that I'll never be able to repay. In our service for the Lord, we could never pay, repay him. The pianist was playing 
a couple of songs at least I picked up the tune. Uh, one of my favorite songs, Calvary, covered it all, played that. And then another couple a song or so later was another song about Calvary. How could we in our best day or our best year or our best lifetime ever repay Jesus Christ for what he did on Calvary for our sins? He paid our sin debt. You take everybody in this room. There might be, I don't know, 50 to 75 people here right now. If you could take the sin out of all of us, just us, not talking about the state of South Carolina, not talking about the United States, not talking about the eight billions of people that are on this planet right now, but just take the sins that you and I have committed in our lives. And Jesus Christ atoned for those sins on Calvary. He paid our debt. I saw, he saw our sins. Uh, that's why we ought to be faithful in service. That's why we ought to be involved in trying to get people to Christ and being the kind of witness that we ought to be and testimony that we ought to be at work, in our neighborhood. I live in a neighborhood. Some neighbors are hard to get along with, period. Well, I live on a little street just two blocks long. I think there's, uh, there's 12 or 13 houses. More than half of the houses, the people that are living there, the man and the woman that are living there are not married. Two of the houses, there's not a man and a woman living there that aren't married. There's people of the same gender living together in those houses. And uh, there's a couple widows. Everybody on our street has the same lousy neighbor. It's the same guy. He causes problems for everybody. He has sued uh, the house. It's empty now. The house. Uh, he has sued at least three out of the four families that have lived in that house since we've lived there. We've lived there 35 years. We were there before he came there. But he gets mad about something. You know, a limb falls in his yard and he gets upset. I had a guy last week, last Monday, Came to my house. He'd promised to do it a year ago. I had, you know, I think sometimes I have stupid written right across my forehead. Because these guys come to the house and say, we, you got a couple dead limbs up there. We'll, we'll cut them down for you for X amount of money. And you dicker with them a little bit. And when they get done, they've cut the whole tree down. And then they just leave it there. Well, this mess had been there for two years. Well, he came. He wanted the wood. He wanted the firewood. And so he brought a log splitter, and I helped him about three hours, maybe about four hours. Uh, we got it all split and in the back of his trailer. And the neighbor that uh, is the bad neighbor for everybody in our neighborhood, this guy turned his truck around in that guy's driveway. He probably was, uh, that, his driveway is probably from here to the back of the building, and he probably went from here to the front row of pews, and the neighbor came out and was hollering at him. And I said to him, I said, what did that guy say? He said, I don't know, I didn't pay any attention to him. And really, it's a good thing that he didn't pay any attention to him because the guy that was doing all the work for me and I was working with him, it would have been a great fight. It would have been something great to see. But, you know, we all have that to deal with all the time. And I don't want to be a bad testimony. I've witnessed that guy across the street when we first moved there probably for a decade, maybe 15 years. 
and uh, got along pretty good. The boys were there. I don't know what happened. He got mad at my wife. I think my wife nailed him one day with the gospel. And uh, that took care of him and his uh, precious. They're not married. I mean, these people are 50, 60 years, maybe 70 years old now. They're not married. We, we, live, in a, we live in a strange day, folk. We really live in a strange day, a difficult day. Uh, you know, do you ever think about this? God chose to save you. We ought to choose to serve him. Amen. He deserves our best. He doesn't deserve, you know, a lackadaisical Christian life. I saw this, I don't know, uh, a couple of months ago in reading my Bible, reading through my Bible. Look in chapter 14. We'll get back to this in just a minute. Jesus said that in that 14th chapter, he said in verse number 15, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Look at verse 24. He that loveth me not, keepeth not. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. You know, you can say you love God all you want to. But if you don't keep his commandments, if you don't do what he says to do, if you don't live your life according, you don't love him. He loves you. It's, it's an unequivocal love. It, there's no, uh, he's not saying, you know, if you do wrong, I'm not going to love you. He loves you. He loves us. But we don't love him if we don't do what he wants us to do. If we don't live our lives the way we ought to. Uh, I got a good friend. And um, uh, he thinks he's called to preach. And I think he could, you know, he can take the Bible. And he's a good witness, tremendous witness, really. But uh, he was talking to me, it was about two years ago, about this time. And he said, uh, I think I'm going to buy a church building. He's a wealthy fellow. He said, I think I'm going to buy a church building and I'm going to start a church. And I said, why would you want to do that? He said, well, I think I'm, I'm, supposed, I'm supposed to preach. I said, when are you going to go to Bible college? And it's stunning. You know, when are you going to study? When are you going to prepare? Uh, preaching the gospel is not just a flippant thing. It's not just a careless thing that we do. There needs to be some preparation. Now, I know there's a lot of men that never went to Bible college, but they've spent hours and hours and years and years and decades studying the Word of God. This book is a living book. It's just, stuff just flows out of there all of the time. It's such a wonderful book. I uh, was in a meeting someplace, and I don't know how in the world I even heard about this lady. But I, I became uh, interested. Her name was Irene Maurer. And I think somebody gave me an illustration. And they told about the book. So I got online and I bought, I don't know, half a dozen of them to give to ladies that I knew. And I wanted to read it. And I started to read it. And I got maybe a third of the way through. But, and I'm not saying anything bad about ladies. But ladies are a little more detailed than men. You know, we just say stuff and it's over. But this lady, she was so detailed, and it was like talking to six of my wives at the same time. And so uh, I kind of put it up. But there was a tremendous thing in there. And I'm so glad I read what I read. 
she was engaged to be married. She was in Bible college. And uh, they had the reception. They had the, they had the practice, uh, you know, walking down the aisle and doing all that. They had that. Then they had a cake. It was all prepared for the day, for the wedding reception after the wedding. And after the uh, rehearsal that evening, the night before the wedding, he came to her and he said, you know, um, Irene, I, I know you feel like you've been called to Ethiopia as a missionary and I was too. But he said, I don't think I'm going to be a missionary anymore. I'm not going to go. And so I don't want you to go. I still want to marry you. And she said, I'm sorry. I can't do that. God's called me to go. And so he jilted her the night, night after the, uh, the wedding rehearsal. She was despondent. She went back to her dorm. She took, the, she took the wedding cake. She had the cake already made. And all the girls in the dorm, they finished it off. They ate the thing. And, but she stayed faithful to that call. She spent 60 years, the next 60 years, on three different continents as a missionary. She went to Egypt. She went to South America. She came back here to the United States. And she stayed faithful uh, to that call of God on her life. Uh, and uh, to go back a little bit, uh, her boyfriend, or her fiancé, I guess, he... Uh, found another girl and he dated her for a little bit. And then he came back to Irene. He said, I'd like to get re-engaged and get married. And she said, forget it, buddy. And thank God she did. But uh, she went to church one Sunday morning. And her pastor, the pastor was on his knees on the platform. All during the song service. Song service, the offering was taken. Everything was done. And he's still down on his knees. And he's praying. Nobody says anything. It's unusual. Never had happened before. And Irene, finally, she stood up. And she said, that I, she said, I read this verse of scripture. And it's, it's right here in this 11th chapter. She said, and God spoke to me from John chapter 11 and verse number 28 said, when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, the master is come and calleth for thee. And so Irene stood up and she just started to give her testimony. She said, I was reading through my Bible and, I'm, you know, my fiance jilted me and whatever word she said. But she said, this verse spoke to me, the master, the master is come and calleth for thee. And as soon as she said that, the preacher jumped up. And he said, that's the text that God had chosen for me to preach from that day. And so he preached the message. Of course, it was an out-of-the-banks kind of a service. And everything was just, and it just sealed in her heart what she was to do. And she did a tremendous job. Uh, I think that Jesus Christ has the right to call any of us to anything that he wants us to do, whatever it might be. I think he has the right to deal with us about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we raise our family, 
I think, uh, I think we ought to eat right. Except last night, you could eat all that stuff. That was wonderful. You know, and I, I, I somehow I got to talking to people, and that line was way around here, and I, so I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, by the time I get there, it won't be a thing. There was tons of food there. I don't know, those other people must have just, you know, taken one French fry, and that's all they had. There was even desserts there, and the dessert, I, there was some lady, I, she had her hands full, and I brought in a wonderful dessert that had cherries on top, and uh, it was even there, and I had some of that. I had three desserts, by the way. It was really a good, amen. amen. God has a right to our possessions. He has a right to anything that we have and that we think and how we conduct the affairs of our life. Um, we need to be mastered. You know, sometimes we master, uh, for lack of a better term, the doctrines of Christianity. But we don't allow him to master us, to have control of our lives. You know, it, he, he said it there four times in that 12th chapter. You know, if, if, you, if you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me. And the, the, our brother just sang the song about standing there before God at the judgment seat. And the Lord uh, is going to be there, Jesus Christ. And uh, he's, he is our only access to heaven. He's, we don't have any right to go there save through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done on Calvary for us. Um, you take those people there in Jerusalem. You know, I, I got a watch and I, I know when I'm supposed to quit. But my good watch that I've had for years, for whatever reason, about six weeks ago, I quit running. It broke and I took it to the place and they said, we don't have a watch repairman anymore. And so I've had to get, I've got two other watches. I got this one and another. Neither one of the other two watches, they don't have any numbers on them. So you just kind of have to guess what time it is. Uh, now this one's got little lines on it, it helps, but the other one I wear, it doesn't have anything on it. It's just, you know, you just got to know how to tell time without the time. Uh, so I know what time it is. <laughs> but you take these, these people here, just imagine the contrast between what we would call Palm Sunday and what we now call Easter Sunday. Uh, from one Sunday to the next Sunday, uh, these people changed. The entire city of Jerusalem uh, basically praised him, except a few uh, priests and people like that that hated him. But within a week, those same people are crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's a, it's a strange thing to me to see how quickly uh, fickle uh, people become in the situations of life. There's another little thought I want to give you from this portion of scripture. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, it's recorded uh, the transportation that Jesus took into uh, Jerusalem. He got a, a, the colt, a foal of an ass, the Bible says. Uh, it's interesting also, uh, in John chapter 12 and verse number 15, the Bible said, Behold, the king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record this. When uh, 
a couple of disciples are sent to get the transportation, uh, the donkey that Jesus rode into town on. It was a, obviously it was a female uh, with, her, with her little colt. And the phrase is in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Lord hath need of him. The Lord hath need, the master hath need of him. And the guy that had it, he didn't put up a fuss or anything. You know, it, it would be an interesting thing if we would be conscious of the fact that when the Lord says, I have need of you, I have need of something you have, and we would be willing to part with it without a big fuss, without arguing. Have you, you know, I don't know how long you've been saved. I've been saved uh, 53 years, 50, well, 54 years next month. And I just confess to you, I've, Lord and I have had a couple arguments over 54 years. Because I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do on occasion. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, it's been a while since we've had words. But, you know, sometimes like when you're sick. Why in the world, Lord, do I have to go through this? Why do I have to put up with, or you have some other thing that causes suffering in your life. Why do I have to suffer? You know, suffering is one of the most positive things that could happen in a Christian's life. You remember, now I've, I've won some people to Christ, and I suppose that most of you have won somebody to Jesus, or at least got them to church, and they got saved. But I've led some people to the Lord, personal soul winning. I have never, in my soul winning presentation, did what Ananias, or said what Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus when he got saved. Saul of Tarsus, you know, he was on the road to Damascus and uh, he was blinded and the guy took him by the hands and walked him into Damascus. And then God spoke to this guy named Ananias, said, I want you to go up and talk to uh, him. And he didn't, he had a little argument with the Lord. He didn't want to go. He said, God, do you know what this guy's been doing? He's been killing people like me, or at least throwing us in prison. I don't know if I want to go. And the Lord said, I want you to go up and I want you to tell him, number one, that I've got a job for him to do. And number two, what did he say, class? He's going to suffer. Now, I've won people the Lord, and I guarantee you the second thing I told them was, was not, you are going to suffer. But as a child of God, you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer some things in life. You're going to go through some things, some difficulties, some heartaches, uh, some tragedies, uh, some sorrow. Uh, I wish that hadn't have happened. I wish, you know, it's, maybe it's a personal uh, inequity in your own life and, and you suffer through that or, you know, a loved one would pass away. And, you know, I've got, I've got good friends whose uh, wife uh, left them. I got two wonderful preachers. Uh, one's in his 90s, one in his 80s right now. And their mates died along the road of life. And after a period of time, they found another lady and felt like they wanted to marry them, and they got married. And both of those men, and I could, if I called their names, some of you would know their names. If I called their names, if you, I don't know if you get the Baptist bread here anymore or not, but in that daily devotional that I edit, both of those men put articles occasionally. But after uh, one in 80s, one in his 90s, now I don't know why in the world you 80 or 90 years old you want to get married. 
you know, maybe you're lonesome. I've never been that lonesome, frankly. Uh, <laughs> I spent a lot of time alone. I live alone, uh, I'd say, at least 50, 60 percent of the time. Uh, my wife does go with me sometimes, but I, I spend a lot of lonesome time uh, just doing what I'm supposed to do, I believe. But to, to have that tragedy, that suffering come in, both of those men, it broke their hearts. They loved the lady. They cared for uh, that individual. And uh, I think just, I don't know, it's just family situations. And, and we're going to suffer. Uh, you know, another interesting thing to me now, everyone here in this room has watched a, a cowboy show. Probably, you know, Gunsmoke or some John Wayne movie or everybody. And you've watched them and they, they have these horses, they're wild horses, and so they have to break them. They get on, man, they go flying all over. And usually, you know, when the star gets on there, Another guy really gets on there with the same outfit because that star is not going to get on there because you're going to get killed. You're going to know what you're doing, I guess, if you're going to ride. A... I have never ridden a horse like that. I've ridden a horse. I'm not a big horseman. Next time I ride a horse is when we all come back. You know, that's when I'm going to ride a horse. But uh, I'm not a big horse. You know, I'll tell you this. Last time I, I thought about this this morning, I didn't. I'm just rambling, I guess. <laughs> I'll preach in the next service but any, and the next two services but it, I was at a place and, and some friend they have a lot of horses they have a horse the horses are called Friesens I believe they're kind of like a Tennessee walker but it's called a Friesen and uh, they raised those they're beautiful horses and they said would you like to go horseback riding and I, you know, I wasn't going to chicken out and I said yeah I'd be glad to and, uh, which was a lie but uh so they come out, there was five of us going to go, and they bring out these four horses. And uh, this horse was called Molly, and this horse was called Sweetheart, and this horse was called Babyface, and this one was called Petunia. And they said, here's your horse, Brother Green, Blackjack. I'm saying, why in the world would they put me on Blackjack? I'd rather be on Molly or one of those you know, nice-sounding names. But they, it was an interesting horse. When you got at a full gallop, it was just as smooth as I'm standing here right now. Now, it's kind of choppy to get there. But, man, when that thing was, when we were flying, they were just as smooth as smooth could be. How in the world I got talking about that? I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Oh, we're going to come back on horses one of these days. Thank God. Thank God. Um, the question is, what are you going to do when he asks you to do what he wants you to do? I'm afraid so many of us Christians, we buck at it. I think so many of us Christians, we don't want to do it. And that's back to where I got that horse deal. That, that little colt had never been ridden before. But as soon as the Lord got on him, that tamed that little thing. And I want to say... If you really let the Lord get a hold of your life, you would submit to him completely, acquiesce to his will in everything. He'll tame you just like that. There's nothing wrong with being tamed by the Lord. He knows what's best for us. He knows what we ought to do with our lives, how we ought to conduct the affairs of our life. That lady, the master has come and calleth 
for thee. There's a lot transpired there in John 11 and to the end of the chapter, or end of the book, I should say. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a couple weeks of time. Do you ever, I don't know how much time the New Testament covered. I know Jesus' ministry was three, three and a half years. It talks about him when he was born, of course, and when he was a 12-year-old boy. There's a lot of stuff It's just, it's not even discussed. But that, I don't know how many days uh, I came across a book some time ago. The author, he purported that the record that's in the four Gospels is somewhere between 40 and 50 days of Jesus' life on earth. So that's why when you get down to the end of the book of John, John says, you know, if everything was written that had happened in those three years, the book, the, the libraries of the world could not contain the books that ought to have been written about what took place. And, you know, I have not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those of us that love him. There's a lot going on in our behalf. God knows your situation. God knows my situation, my circumstances. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He guides our steps today. And our job, I think, as a Christian is just to say, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm willing to do it. Amen. Wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to go. And uh, I, I don't know, have you ever been in a situation when the Lord prompted you to witness to somebody, to talk to somebody, and you didn't do it? Have you ever been in a place when you were prompted to do and witness to somebody and you did and God blessed it? Or maybe, you know, sometimes when we witness to people, you don't get a positive response. I look at it as sometimes it's like a nail in somebody's coffin. That's the last opportunity. Somebody gave them the gospel. Somebody talked to them. And then within days or months or years, they're gone. They're in eternity without Christ. But God... God desires for us to be faithful in our witnessing and talking to people about Christ and having gospel tracts. You've got a track back, uh, rack back there. It's full of tracts. It ought to be emptied every once in a while and pass them out. I was in a church uh, in you know, Jennings, Louisiana, the place where I was just after Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, there was a couple old codgers in that church. They go every day, every day and pass out tracks for a couple of hours in places in their town in Terre Haute. I suppose they've given tracks to the same people more than once. But it's a good thing to do. It's a positive thing to do, to do what God would have us to do. The master has come and he calleth for thee. And what do those other verses say? If you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my sayings. It's interesting, those wonderful words there. God help us to be faithful in our testimony and our witness. And uh, like the preacher said, the pastor said just a little bit ago, I know uh, everybody invites people to church. Sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. I, I got, oh, I'm past time. Let me close with this. God, when God saved you, he knew what he was getting when he saved you. 
And here's the three little thoughts I want to leave you, just three statements. He, know what, he knew what we could be. He knew what we would be if we did what was, he wanted us to do. And he knew what we will be one of these days. You know, there's a wonderful statement. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see him, we will be like him. Father in heaven, I pray you'd help us. <clears throat> help us to be what we ought to be. Help us to be what you want us to be. Help us to be what you knew we could be if we'd submit and yield completely and wholly to thee in our lives. Bless the next service in Jesus' name. Amen.